North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Christopher Schroeder. Hey, I want to thank everybody who joined us for our little sing-along after church yesterday at the nursing home. Uh, it was really a blessing to a lot of the people there. And I also want to invite anyone listening to this in the Covington area. I'll be doing some Christmas carols down at the Covington Trailhead with the city of Covington. Got a band out there this Thursday night at 7 p.m. But for now, let's go ahead and go to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. We're looking at John the Baptist and how we can make room in our lives for the Spirit during this Advent season. Let's head to North Shore Vineyard, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. of your bulletin is the passage we're looking at today. This is um, churches around the world from various traditions use the lectionary in their uh, Sunday worship. And this is from the lectionary. And this is part of the calendar season uh, in, in the season of Advent where people tend to look, we, we look in at John the Baptist. So this is a passage about John the Baptist. He wasn't a, a, a Southern Baptist. You know, he was a, he got his title from baptizing people. I want to clear that up. John the Baptist, Matthew the Lutheran. Um, Oh, here we go. Luke 3, 1 through 6. And this is one of these passages which has all kind of crazy words. So listen to me butcher them. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Idurea and Trachonitis, Isn't that a disease? (laughs) And Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country and around the Jordan, preaching baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book, The words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. I'm sure... Everyone in here has had the experience before where you have longed for something to happen, wanted something, wished, hoped, dreamed that something would happen, but then it happens in a way that you weren't expecting and you realize you didn't want it to actually happen that way. (laughs) I had an experience like this when I was um, in my early 20s. I was probably about 22, 23 years old. I had just recorded my second album, the CD called The Sound of Rain. It was a Christian rock album, and and I was getting ready to start trying to book some gigs and stuff. And, and one day I get a phone call from a concert promoter in Baton Rouge, and he says, I'm bringing in this band, this new band called Third Day, and we want your band to open for them. 
Now, if you don't know who Third, Third Day was, you probably were not a Christian in the 90s. Third Day was this, this cool band that was, uh, it sounded like a mix between the Black Crows and Hootie and the Blowfish, and they were, they were a pretty big deal, and this was their first album that had just come out, and, and everybody was talking about Third Day, and all of a sudden, I get to open for that band, and I was like, this is, this is pretty hot stuff, man. This, this could be my big break. This is the thing you dream of as a musician. And so... My, my new album was coming out in a couple of months. It, it wasn't going to be ready in time, but, but I got a band together, and we started working on the songs, and, and we, were, we were doing good at putting the arrangements together. But, but as, as is common for, for musicians in their early 20s, we slipped from practicing, into the, practicing the songs into delusions of how good we were. Uh, we start going like, I think uh, people are going to hear us, and they're going to be like, forget their day, man. We're going to listen to this band. <laughs> and we were not that good. <laughs> but what we lacked in quality, we made up for in delusional thinking. <laughs> and so we're practicing, rehearsing, getting excited about this gig. It was going to be over a 1,000 people at this venue, and they're advertising it on the radio stations, and we're just so excited. And the day arrives to, to play this concert to open for third day, and we show up at the venue. We're unloading our equipment and everything, and then the concert promoter comes up to me. He goes, ah. Uh, yeah, we kind of got a problem. I was like, what's that? He said, third day is not going to make it. And apparently their tour bus had broken down in another state. And, and uh, so I said, well, what are we going to do? He's like, well, here's what I'm thinking. You know, it's too late in the game to cancel the concert. This was before social media and everything. So it's like you got all these people who've been hearing about it on the radio. He's like, people are showing up in a couple of hours um, how about you just headline the event? And initially, I was pretty excited about this. For, like, for about 10 seconds, I'm like, wow, this is a bigger break than I thought. But then the gravity of the situation quickly began to descend upon me, and I, it, it turned into a moment of dread. It's kind of like if, if you've, you've booked a family vacation at Disney World... Uh, and then you show up at Disney World a couple months later. You've already got your tickets, and it turns out Disney World was sold to another company, and they didn't have the licensing rights to Mickey and Minnie and Goofy, and you show up, and there's no Mickey Mouse. Instead, they've got Bill the Beaver and Hal the Horse. <laughs> this Bill the Beaver guy, I know he's not Mickey Mouse, but give him a chance. He's, he's, really, he's really funny. <laughs> and Hal the Horse over here? It was like that. People were going to be showing up expecting third day, and they were going to get me and my band that was not really very good. <laughs> it was terrifying, even with our delusions of grandeur. So people show up. <laughs> Most of them left when they found out third day wasn't going to be there, which probably worked in my favor. <laughs> and we played the gig, and it wasn't awful. It was just not very memorable at all. But that was my first experience, uh, one of many that I would have throughout the 90s into the early 2000s, of opening for other bands. And there was a few points along the way where I even had other bands open for my band. And people don't think much about opening bands. I mean, I know a lot of people that if you're going to see a concert, you skip the opening band altogether. You know, you just, just wait till the opening band's over and you just show up for the main act. But there's a good way to be an opening band in a bad way. Bad opening bands, and, and, and I have a confession to make, uh, probably most of the time I was an opening band in my 20s, I was not a good opening band. 
I was not a good opening band because when it would come time to open forever, whoever was the main act, we would be like in a a competitive adversarial relationship. We're like, we're going to show them up. We're going to show these people that we're the really good ones. So we're coming into the situation competing. We're making it about us. It is our moment to shine. And that's not a very good way to do it. A good opening band realizes their place. They're invited to be a part of something, but they're not the center stage. They are there as an appetizer for the main course. You know, if you go to, if you go to a fancy restaurant like, like Del Porto over here, you know, and you get an appetizer, it makes you want to eat the main course. You know, that's kind of the point. The appetizer gives you just enough food to make you go, oh, this is great. Let's have some more. But if you show up to Del Porto and instead of getting, you know, their wonderful appetizer, you get something akin to, you know, cold mozzarella sticks from TGI Fridays, you'd be like, I'm good. I think we're ready for the check. That's a bad opening ban. So last week, I, I busted my son out of school for a musical field trip. Uh, my son is, is 15, year old, 15 years old now, and he's been playing guitar for a couple of years. And there is a window as a musician when you're between like about 13 and 16 where you are just a sponge for musical influences. It's a, it's a, it's a window. I, I mean, studies have even shown, like the music you get into at that age, you, you will listen to that music for the rest of your life. So it's an important thing, parents. Um, so I, one of my favorite bands for the last decade has been this band called the Wood Brothers. And the Wood Brothers, if you're not familiar with them, they, they are turning out amazing songwriting. They're amazing musicians. And when they play live, it is just incredible. And I found out that they were doing an all-ages show in Houston. I can never take my son to go see them when they're playing around here because it's usually you have to be 18 or 21 to go see, see at the venues they play at. So I busted him out of school to take him to Houston because I remember when I was his age, my dad took me to a little country bar in Odessa, Texas, to see a, a Texas songwriter named Joe Ely. Anybody familiar with Joe Ely? Because most of y'all didn't grow up in Texas. But Joe Ely is one of the, yeah, he, he's one of the best songwriters out of Texas. And when I was about my son's age, my dad took me to this country bar in, in Odessa, Texas. I didn't like country music. I didn't know who Joe Ely was. And I remember showing up at that venue, and this guy came out with just a guitar. He had no band or anything. And blew me away. I had never been impacted by music up close and personal like that. Just one guy with a guitar singing, and it was powerful. So I wanted my son to experience the same kind of experience. So we went to Houston, and one of my, one of my best friends over in Houston, his son is one of my son's best friends. So we just met, and we're all musicians, so we met. We went to the show, and it was killer, just like I thought it was. As soon as we got home the next day, my son is, you know, spending hours in his room trying to learn the songs of the Wood Brothers, you know. And so, so mission accomplished there. But it was interesting because the opening act was this lady named Amy Helm. Anybody familiar with the band called The Band? The band. Well, their, their drummer was Levon Helm. He passed away a few years ago. It's his daughter, Amy. And I didn't realize he had a daughter. And she is, a, she can sing. She can sing. And her band was opening. And she was a good opening band. She was a good opening band. Because they got out there. They played. And, and she, she was very grateful to be there. She kept mentioning how grateful she was to be with the Wood Brothers and, and excited. to. She was, she was preparing the audience for the main act. 
And they played awesome. I'd never heard their songs before, and they did so well. And I'm like, I want to hear more of their stuff. But the, the anticipation was directed at the main act. And when the main act came out there, you know, their job was done. But when the Wood Brothers got about halfway through their show, they, they got one little microphone and sat it out in front of the band, and they invited Amy Helm back out. So she, the one who opened, now she came back out and supported them in their live show. I want to show you a clip of it. This is my video. This is. Uh, you gotta unmute the track though. and the Wood Brothers. That's a good opening band. Not only do they set the stage for the ones who are going to come, but when the ones come, they can even come out there and support them. Why all this talk? This is not a music education class, although you're getting quite an education here this morning on opening bands, something nobody talks about. When I look at John the Baptist, John the Baptist, to me, is a good opening band. John the Baptist shows us what it is like to, to know who we are and why we're here and, and, and to know when it is time to step into the background. I see people all the time in ministry who, you know, when ministry starts, you know, they, they start getting all kinds of people, you know, showing up. That's like, oh, this is a sign from God. But they can never let it go. They can never let it go. Like they, get a, they get their identity attached to their popularity and how many people like what they're doing and how many people are showing up, and they can never relinquish control of that. John the Baptist wasn't that way. Think about this. This guy, a little bit older than Jesus, a few months older than Jesus. He was Jesus' cousin, and he starts into ministry before Jesus, and he's doing a crazy ministry. This dude was, he's a wild dude. He's a wild dude. He, he's out in the wilderness by the river of Jordan, dressed up in camel hair. He's eating locusts and honey. It was like fear factor. And he's baptizing people in the river. I mean, he just came up with this whole thing, baptism, and they're doing that down by the river, and he's telling people, get ready for the coming of the kingdom of God. And somehow, in spite of all his weirdness and in spite of the fact that he's out in the middle of the wilderness and people had to you know, take quite a journey to get there, 
hundreds, maybe thousands of people were coming to hear his prophetic voice. His ministry was succeeding. He was getting popular. But one day, his cousin Jesus shows up and he says, I want to be baptized, John. And John's like, oh, whoa now. Um, you need to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want to be baptized by you. This is the way it's supposed to work. So John baptizes Jesus. It says when Jesus came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And there was a voice heard from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus ever does a thing in ministry, it starts off in a place of blessing. Jesus was blessed not because of the ministry he did, but because he existed, because he was loved. And right then in that place, the ministry of Jesus starts to take off from that moment forward. That was the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. Now, now here's what's interesting, though, because some of John the Baptist's closest disciples, they're like, we're going to go follow this Jesus guy now. And all the attention then begins to shift from John the Baptist to Jesus. And somebody finally comes up to John and says, dude, aren't you upset about that? I mean, like you've been doing this thing, building up this ministry for all these years, and now your own personal people are, are following after this this." rabbi named Jesus. And John the Baptist says, no, 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 that was the plan all along. I must decrease so that God can increase. I know my part. And I think what this shows about John the Baptist is that he is somebody who miraculously had dealt with his ego early on. He wasn't letting his own ego get in the way. But if I see something that is so toxic in ministry these days, it is ego, man. It's ego. I don't know how to get out of the way. We think it's all about us and what we're doing. We don't know how to hold it with open hands because we've, we've given in to what, what Henry Nouwen would call the three lies of identity. Henry Nouwen is one of my favorite spiritual authors. And there are three lies of identity that people believe. I am what I have. I am what I do. I am what other people say or think of me. Three lies of identity. Now, here's the deal. We learn these lies. We learn to live our lives around these things when we're young. You know, ego is not a bad thing. It serves a purpose in your life. You know, when you're growing up, it is the way, your ego is the way that you get to adulthood. You know, you figure out early on, whether it's uh, achievements in academics or performance or athletics, whatever it is you figure out gets you some applause and gives you a shot at, 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 at making in, the, in this world, you figure out how to do those things early on. Maybe it's having a sense of humor and joking. But, but we do this. We build our ego to protect us from the threats to our life and our emotional health. We build up this wall, and it does work. It works. Ego works great. But once you make it to adulthood, if you don't deal with your ego, it will eat your lunch and it will sabotage even your relationship with God and other people. And John the Baptist did not give in to those lies. I am what I have. I am what I do. I am what other people say or think of me. He didn't give in to those lies. And that's why when Jesus came on the scene, he could step into the background. I shared this a few weeks ago. 
But, you know, when Hurricane Katrina happened, we lost most of our stuff. And, and when you think about losing your stuff, that's a horrible thing to think of. I like my stuff. It was a sad thing. I lost lots of keyboards and guitar amps. And, but, you know, it really wasn't as bad as I thought. Because as I lost my stuff, I realized my life is not in my stuff. As I lost my stuff, I realized the things that were of true value. You may gain and lose stuff a few times throughout your life. Your stuff is not your life. I don't care what Lexus is telling you during the holidays. (laughs) I don't care what the clothing companies are telling you on TV. Your stuff is not your life. And if you think your stuff is your life, then your happiness will go the way of your stuff. But when we took all our stuff to the edge of the curb after Katrina, you know, the thing that we grieved, it wasn't that we lost our refrigerator and our couch and our furniture. What we grieved was the loss of people in our community, the ones that we had relationship with. We lost the, the, the loss. We, we mourned the loss of culture. You know, I mean, there was nothing going on for a good long time. We mourned those things as, as, you know, the, the wisdom I came across in a truck stop restroom one time, you know, the, written on the wall, <laughs> the, the best things in life aren't things. What a profound saying, you know, but that, that's what we realized. The best things in life aren't even things. It's love. It's relationships. That's the real stuff. What about the lie? You are what you do. Oh, that's a big one, isn't it? Chances are, if you meet somebody for the first time, you say, hey, tell me about yourself. Well, I do this. I do that. I'm, I got this title. That's the way we're so prone to answering things. And look, doing stuff is not bad. But if we tie our identity to what we're doing, we're missing the point. You know, there's, there's a, a friend of mine that, that used to go to church here. He still loves this church. He didn't leave angry. He's just moved on. Um, Joe Badon, uh, he, an artist, and he just did a, his first feature-length film, and I interviewed him for my, my podcast a few weeks ago um, about his new movie called The God Inside My Ear. And, and in this movie, the lead character... Now, it's a weird movie. It's a strange movie because Joe Badon's a strange dude. It's a really good one if you like strange movies, which I do. Um, it's like David Lynch meets Napoleon Dynamite. So, um, <laughs> But... In this movie, the lead character, she is going through, she's trying to find meaning and purpose in life, in religion, and then in psychotherapy, and drugs, and relationships. But ultimately, the most important thing she finds is being a child in front of her creator. And I asked Joe about this. I was like, is this autobiographical? He goes, Absolutely. This is a guy who spent 15 years as a youth pastor. He's, he's, he's gone down all those different paths. But the most important thing is that we realize, apart from what we have, apart from what we do, apart from what other people think about us, the most important thing about your life and my life is that we are children created in the image of God, loved by our Creator. Because if you think you are what you do, then your opinion of yourself and of God is going to go up and down. 
I spent the first decade of being a Christian, like, I always thought that, like, I had to impress God with all the things that I do for God and all this stuff. And, and you know, when, I, when I'm performing well, God loves me. When I'm not, then God doesn't. Reality was, it's all a lie. God loves you as much today as he will love you tomorrow. No matter what you've done. No matter how miserable your life may seem right now, no matter how much you feel like you're struggling with sin or addiction, God loves you as much today as he will ever love you. And maybe you come in here today and, and, and you're not feeling sad. You're feeling pretty proud of yourself because you're, it's the end of the year and you close some accounts and you're doing awesome. Well, guess what? God loves you as much today as he will ever love you, even when you fail. God's love for us does not wax and wane the way the opinions of others do. God loves you absolutely, unconditionally. And the more that we can deal with these lies and stop living our lives around these lies, the more we can be the kind of people that when God shows up, we don't have to try to control what God's doing. We don't have to try to control other people. We're not always moved by insecurity and immaturity and pride and arrogance, but we can know our place in the story. I want to share some more words from uh, Richard Rohr here. Because he says it better than I could. John the baptizer is the strangest combination of conviction and humility, morality and mysticism, radical prophecy and living in the present. This son of the priestly temple class does his own thing down by the riversides. He is a man born into privilege who dresses like a hippie. He is a superstar who is willing to let go of everything, creating his own water baptism and then saying that what really matters is the baptism of spirit and fire. He is a living paradox. As even Jesus says of him, there is no man greater than John, but he is also the least. In the new reality that I am bringing about, John both gets it and does not get it at all, which is why he has to exit, exit the stage right early in the drama he has played his single and important part and he knows it his is brilliantly in spirit a spirituality of descent not ascent he must grow bigger i must grow smaller so as we conclude today i put three questions to reflect on because really, one of the reasons why the churches around the world today are looking at John the Baptist is because we are preparing the way of our hearts to receive the Spirit of God right now. And this is a time of the year where, you know, those three lies of identity, I am what I have, <laughs> everything in, in, in marketing is playing into those things, I am what I do, it's the end of the year with your jobs and you're trying to figure out, do I have a job next year or do I get a bonus this year? Uh, what do people think of me? Those kinds of things are, are the buttons that are getting pushed this, this time of the year. So how can we step back and recognize those for the lies that they are and center ourselves in God? Say, come Holy Spirit. I don't have to control this thing. I don't have to be God for other people. I want to, 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 to do what I do with confidence, and when I need to get out of the way, I can do that as well. So here's three reflection questions. Number one. How have I succumbed 
to the lies of identity listed above. Number two, how would life be different if I could really live as if I'm absolutely accepted and loved by my creator every day of my life? Imagine that. Imagine how life would look if you could live that way. And number three, what are the areas of my life where I need to move out of the way and make room for the Spirit's work in others' lives? What might this look like? Let's hold these questions. Let's meditate on them for the next few days so that that we can actually have an encounter with God's presence in our life amongst all the craziness of this season in the world that we live in. Why don't y'all stand? Lord, we thank you for your spirit in our lives, in the lives of other people. Lord, forgive us for the way that we let our own ego get in the way of what you're doing. Lord, for the times where you wanted to move through us, but we were too anxious or proud, prideful to, to let you do that, Lord. Forgive us for that, Lord. Forgive us for the ways that we have allowed our identity to be tied up in our possessions and what we do and what other people think of us. Lord, free us from that, Lord. Help us to live from our true selves, Lord. Help us to be, as John the Baptist, Lord, a good opening band for you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless y'all. And if you need some prayer, feel free to come down to the front. And if you ain't got anything going on, I know the Saints are playing. You can watch part of the game, and hopefully they're in a good place. And if they're not in a good place, just go, just go sing some songs with us at 115 at the Pontchartrain Nursing Home. God bless y'all. See you later.